Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to chsrhealthylife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. chsrhealthylife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From beautiful Huntington Beach, California, on the HealthyLife.net radio network, heard in all 50 states and 135 countries, all positive talk radio all the time. And from the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in radio. And I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at CaregiverDave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg at TheCaregiverSpace.org. Say hello, Adrian. Hi. Hi. Also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio video platforms. In fact, we're proud to be voted the number one numero uno podcast on the top 50 of Player FM. And even more importantly, the number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot, one of the big raiders of podcasts out of the top 60 and number two on Caring Village. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today, don't we, Adrian? I hope so. We do, because it's you. It's Adrian Bluebird, the co-host of the Caregiver Dave show for, I don't know, four years, four and a half years. I don't even remember how long. It's Seven. Been. How many? Seven. Get out of here. Really? Six you, at least. Are you serious? My gosh. Yeah, because I was in California in 19... 19- uh, in not 19, in, in 2015. Yeah, and remember, you just says, well, you know, we'll just do it and we'll see how it works out and, you know, don't know if I can continue doing it. It's like my partner at the gas station. I, I never wanted a partner, and my father said never get a partner, but I needed somebody to work graveyard shift, and they wanted to buy the station. I says, listen, work a graveyard shift for me. I'll pay you $10 an hour, and if it works out, you know, I'll buy you out, you buy me out, whatever. And that was 15 years ago. So mm-hmm. go figure. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, Adrian, you are a former caregiver. Just tell us your early history, you know, when you were a teenager and becoming a, a young lady, because you have an amazing background and uh, you're like somebody's dream life who, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to Africa. I'm going to... I don't even want to put words in your mouth. Tell us what Adrienne Gruberg was like when she was 18, becoming a, a young lady. 18, I was a, a sophomore in college. I was in college at 16. Oh, well, uh, you, wow, you were smart. Yeah, I skipped the eighth grade. Okay. Wow, that makes you smart. Oh, <laughs> and you were 4.0 probably, right? No, I was lucky to get through school. <laughs> well, how does someone like that skip the eighth grade? 
<laughs> no, I was smart. I just didn't like didn't get grades. Okay, going to school. <laughs> um, uh, you were too smart for school. I was an art student. Art classes uh, were three hours long and real pain. <laughs> I, I was not good at life drawing. I was very good at design, and mm. that was what I wanted to do. But you had to have a full curriculum. Did your family uh, support you in your career for arts? Were they well, artistic? my family expected me to be an art teacher, and I told I them under no circumstances. And they said, "Oh no, you will be." And I said, <laughs> "Oh no, I won't be." And uh, I wasn't. <laughs> and you were raised in a Jewish household. In I was raised in, in uh, yeah, we were kosher. Um, my brother is still kosher. Mm. Very disciplined, a lot of pressure from my mother to be perfect. Oh. That's a Jewish mother. <laughs> um, my father was was a doll. Uh, he had been a trumpet player. He was the bugler in the army, you know, boogie woogie bugle boy. Oh boy. And, uh, and daddy's little girl, no doubt. I never felt like that, but maybe mm. I was. I don't know. Um, Jewish American princess? Not at all. We were, <laughs> we were middle class, not upper middle class, not lower middle class, right down the middle. Uh, my father sold insurance. My mother was a bookkeeper and, uh, she should have been an accountant. She, re- she was very smart. What um, neighborhood in New York did you live? I lived in a place called Stuyvesant Town. It's between 14th Street and 20th Street, First Avenue and Avenue C. Uh, was across, Stuyvesant was across the street from the first house in Stuyvesant Town that we lived in. So you had a lot of Jewish kids. You, you had a lot of Latino kids, black. There were European kids or, you know, children, uh, certainly, my mother was was uh, from Romania. All right. So uh, when you graduated college, what happened? I went to work at Harvard. Uh, it was a it was a early learning program. It was really just a job to have while I was waiting to continue school, in, in, continue in the art program, but. I got married <laughs> oh. my high school friend wanted to come and visit me. I said, sure, come on. He, I didn't know it, but he wanted to marry me. He was really a Walter Mitty type. He had all these dreams, all these fantasies. And now, I mean, he lives in Zurich, Switzerland and travels all over the world. He's still alive. Um, Oh yeah! Oh please! <laughs> well, I know your your same last age. husband died. We're in yeah. the same class. I moved back to New York when I got engaged, and my grandfather died. My grandmother moved in with my parents, mm. as happens in a lot of Jewish families. Caregivers. And they kicked me out of my room, and I was sleeping <laughs> on an army cot in the living room. Wow. And I said, I'm getting married. I don't have to wait until August and have a big wedding. 
you know, as far as I'm concerned, I can go to City Hall and get married. Yeah. My mother had always dreamed of a big wedding because she had, uh, you know, an army kind of wedding, very small wedding during World War II. My in-laws lived in Florence, Italy. My father-in-law set up shoe factories mm. for better shoes. My husband had gone to his first two years of high school in Florence. So he was on his way to living his Walter Mitty life. And he found in me somebody who was interested in what he wanted to do, which was study chimps. Really? And do mother-infant research. And so we moved from New York to Atlanta. And in Atlanta, he went to Emory, which was then affiliated with the Yerkes Primate Center. That was that was the reason we we went. So did you burn your bra in those days? <laughs> no, I just watched other people. <laughs> I didn't need one. So <laughs> we moved to Atlanta, and he he went to school and did the Yerkes thing, and then we moved back to Brooklyn. And he went to Downstate College where there was a, a program where he was studying gelata baboons. And then the New York Blood Center approached him to go to Africa and set up a program to, to look for the, the cure for hepatitis B. Wow. And, How do you feel about going to Africa? Oh, I was excited. I mean, every day he, I would come home from work. I was a display artist back in New York when we moved to Brooklyn. And for a shoe company, <laughs> one day we were moving to Borneo to study orangutans. And next day we were going to India to study gelato baboons and temple, temple monkeys, macaques. There was always something. There were all these fantasies. And... Finally, one of them happened. We ended up going to Liberia for the New York Blood Center and studying. Uh, we, we were setting up a program to study chimps. The idea was we were going to set up a breeding colony to uh, repopulate the, the Liberian forests with chimps. Was there a uh, an endangered species uh, situation going on? I mean, Liberia is a poor country, and people ate chimps, you know. Wow. So, and, I mean, if somebody wanted to prove to us that there were chimps around, they would show us the skull from the soup pot. We were 24 when we moved there. I mean, I had been a caregiver for my grandmother, uh, my mother's mother, uh, I would sit in the hospital, which they were still using oxygen tents back then. I looked older than I was, so they let me in, and I just sat there, and I would take the subway up to the Bronx and sit with my grandmother, who didn't know I was there because she was unconscious. But that happened. She was in the hospital a lot with with her heart. 
then I guess my next caregiving thing was in in college when my father uh, I came back from Boston for a holiday and my father was hospitalized with a bleeding ulcer and I was there for him and then in Africa you were caregiver to chimps. Uh, well, actually, what I did in Africa was, was other than painting, which was one of the few times that I was able to, to just be an artist. I only did this one painting because we ended up having to leave because my husband's boss was manic depressive oh, wow. and we were in danger. Um, he stole our car. Oh my gosh. Um, he he ran up bills uh, up country in in uh, bars and put our name on the tickets oh and came back to New York to to try and make the program work. Mm-hmm. I was left alone there. All of the people that were on our staff that I had taught to paint and weld. You uh, had a weld. Yeah. <laughs> arc welding. You're like that girl on flash dance. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I did a lot of different things. How long were you in Africa and in Liberia and all those places? I was only there for 10 months. Okay. So uh, we were there for two months looking for a place. We started in Kenya. There really aren't chimps in Kenya. Mm. There are chimps in Uganda, but Idi Amin was in Uganda at the time, and you didn't want to go to Uganda. And Jane Goodall had Tanzania all locked up, so there was no way that we could do that. So we heard when we went to the very, very east coast in Mombasa that there were programs in the Ivory Coast and maybe in Liberia, and Liberia was the one that panned out. Listen, we're going to take a short break. Hold hold that thought, and we will be right back. Don't go away. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words by Dave Nassani is the book that helps you overcome and perhaps even prevent the hardships associated with strokes. Dave takes you on his journey and experience with his own wife, Charlene, a stroke survivor. This book tells you everything about strokes to help you and your loved ones survive without making costly mistakes that may save a life or a brain from irreparable damage. One arm, one leg, 100 words. The book is available on Amazon.com or order it from fine bookstores everywhere. Okay, so you have a couple of days off and you're planning to get away from stress. You may be planning to go across the world or even taking a staycation around town. Well, Hotels.com can get you a room in over 158,000 hotels, 60 countries for 50% off. That's reducing stress already. Plus, collect 10 nights and you'll get one night free. And there's no cancellation charges, no change fees. For the best deals, even last-minute deals, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Hotels.com. Guilt, fear, loneliness, burnout. These are just some of the things caregivers feel. But now there's hope. CaregiverDave.com is a membership website with an understanding community designed around supporting you. With a little perspective, planning, and practical help, you can become a thriving caregiver. Start by visiting CaregiverDave.com. Get weekly calls, practical solutions, and free resources. 
Plus, when you sign up, you'll get a 30-minute coaching call free. Don't wait. Go to caregiverdave.com and join now. Audiobooks gives you instant access to over 50,000 of the best sellers and hottest book titles in romance, mystery, fiction, and many other genres. Just visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Audiobooks to get started. Reclaim your caregiver sanity with Dave Nassani's book, It's My Life Too. Caring for someone with an illness or condition who is expected to live for a relatively long period of time is a specific and unique challenge. This book pinpoints the needs and strategies a caregiver must do for themselves in order to survive, thrive, and make caregiving a rewarding, gratifying experience. So get your copy of It's My Life Too today or buy one for your special caregiver. It's My Life Too is available at Amazon.com and caregiverdave.com. You're listening to HealthyLife.net. Millions of listeners know the secret. Now you do, too. Positive talk, 24 hours a day, every day. And hey, this is uh, Caregiver Dave on the Caregiver Dave Show, and we're talking to... Usually my co-host, Adrian Gruberg, <laughs> because, you know, nobody really maybe doesn't know anything about her. And so I wanted to, <laughs> you know, give her this opportunity while she's still alive and still healthy and still vibrant to let us know just who is Adrian Gruberg and how did she get to be who she was? So well, it was complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very exciting life. I mean, <sighs> I know I've told you this a million times. You should write a book. but Well, I'm writing memoirs. Well, you better get them published. I'm not even up <laughs> Africa yet. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still with my European grandparents who, who had said they were very, their culture was so rich and, mm. and things were so interesting. My, my grandmother had like 17 brothers and sisters. There were two God. mothers. One of the sisters died, and so the the second wife was my great grandmother, and she had uh, like another eight children. So they ended up in South America and the United States. Um, they had, you know, when they left Romania. Yeah, Jew- Jewish and, people uh, really take that verse: "Go, be fruitful, and multiply." Very and multiply. seriously, don't. Yeah. <laughs> I I feel terrible that my niece and nephew will never know those people and and that rich mm. culture. Those people just aren't around anymore. That's why it has to live in in a book or you know maybe the book will become a movie. Who knows? <laughs> I mean they're they're it's making a movie, movie about my life. Who'd ever figure that? Yeah, it, it's almost think- done. It, it's it'll be done in in August. They just came to film the last little pieces they want all my photographs all my movies you know to to find a uh a a minute's worth of introduction for it and then when they um show it screen it in front of my family they're going to take pictures of their reactions seeing it for the first time because i haven't seen it either and uh-huh. that's going to be the final credits uh, at the that's end good. but yeah. your life is so much more interesting and exciting than my life so you know <laughs> Don't Not wait really. too long, Adrian. That's the story has to be told. So. Well, 
I'm telling it. So yes. So this 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 is going to be a very historic uh, recording. So go on. Um, what what came next? We had to leave Africa because Ken's boss was bipolar. So, so the authorities were coming after you because your name. Was the authorities there. were coming after us. And Did they I, ever arrest him or anything? Oh no. No. I mean, I'm sure that everything was settled once we left. Mm. The program went on. Uh, it was a front page story on the New York Times two years ago. The program took a turn. Uh, it was not what we intended when we started the program. They ended up not sending chimps back to the United States for research work that they did hold to that promise, but they put the chimps that they captured on an island and the New York Blood Center had said that they would, this is, I'm not telling tales out of school, this is what was on the front page of the Times. They had more or less contracted with the Liberian government to uh, take care of these chimps forever mm-hmm. and feed them and they stopped. Right. They stopped doing it. Were you guys being paid during this time from this crazy boss of yours? Oh, you mean when we were over there? Yeah, I mean. Oh, yeah, but I wasn't being paid. My husband was being paid. Then, okay, so we moved back to the United States because we had to. He worked for the New York Blood Center in the regional transplant program. Mm. This was kidney transplants. This was before computers. They would alternate who was on duty for the weekend because mm-hmm. the transplant center would get a call from a hospital in Dubuque. You know, yeah. uh, we have a viable kidney and we're looking for a recipient. And the blood center had the list and they had to test for antigens and, you know, make sure that everything matched up. But there were times that pilots from airplanes would bring kidneys to our front door and we would have them uh, on dialysis machines on our dining room table while we were waiting for for uh, a recipient for the kidney. Wow. It was that <laughs> that was also interesting. Uh, but about two and a half years after we moved back to the United States, my husband and I separated because I mean, we were great friends and we sort of loved our life, but he was doing whatever he wanted to do and I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So, and I was going to be his mother and just follow my husband wherever he went. Right. Uh, so we split. And was that divorce hard? Uh, no. As far as the family was, goes and your mother? No. And- no. I think it was hardest for my mother. Because she had a lot of shame issues, but uh, <laughs> no, it was it was okay. She tried to make you feel guilty, but you weren't gonna. Oh no, no, no! She was ashamed of what her fam- what her friends and family would think. Oh no, and she never blamed it on me. That that's for certain. So two years after I got divorced. I had I dated people in the middle, but mm-hmm. uh, I was doing graphic design. I was working for a Lucite manufacturer who, uh, for, the place was called Two's Company. They became a very big company. Uh, 
And I did product design, packaging design, catalog design, uh, all of the, all the artwork, all the mechanicals, uh, display design, uh, actual displays. I did all the patterns for the factories in China. I mean, it was, there was a lot of stuff to do for one person. It was my first car, <laughs> which is exciting. And I had to commute to work. It was a reverse commute, so I could zip out of the city and zip back to the city. After a year there, I met Steve. I was out on a Thursday, on a Tuesday night. There's a, there was a, there's a thing in New York called the Museum Mile that they do in the summers where they close Fifth Avenue from the Guggenheim Museum, probably now the Jewish Museum, uh, maybe even the Museum of the City of New York, all the way down to, I guess it's down to the Met. The Met's probably, no, then there's the Frick. So it's all the way down Fifth Avenue to the last museum that's on. And anyone, it's free. So we think they're open at night and it's, I had done that and I got home. I had moved from a one bedroom to a studio, mm-hmm. which is probably the biggest mistake I ever mm-hmm. made because it was rent stabilized. I had a fireplace and a one bedroom apartment in a pre-war building that's very desirable and it, it's in Chelsea. Um, which became a very hot neighborhood. When we first moved there, there wasn't even a coffee shop. (laughs) There were art galleries and and the High Line, and it's the place to be. I turned on the TV when I got home, and I started channel surfing. I came to this character on Manhattan Cable TV, who was saying he wanted to meet someone who wasn't like the other bimbos that he'd been going out with. He was getting a divorce and he (laughs) wanted to meet somebody who was intelligent and good looking and funny. And I mean, he had a laundry list of, of, things that he wanted. Forget about the character that he was, but there was a a, a crawl going across the screen. Steve is available. Steve is available. (laughs) Steve is on the meat market. (laughs) He said, call after the show. So I called the number after the show, and I just said, does this work for you? Because I had just seen a, a movie called FM, which was about a disc jockey who who did this and there were literally women banging down the door to meet this this jockey. So did he do this just one time or no, Steve was the godfather of public access television. When he died, he had just done 35 years and I took over the show after he passed away. And I mean, I mean for a did of he years. advertise for a mate this one time or a few Oh, weeks? no, there was one time I broke up with him. <laughs> <laughs> and he went back on the market. Because he, he gave me an ultimatum. And it's like, what do you, 
what are you talking about? <laughs> um, this, this has never been exclusive. He was still sleeping with his wife. I couldn't go out with somebody else if I wanted to. There was somebody else who wanted to, me to be serious who was nine years younger than I was. And it was interesting. <laughs> I was only 31, you know, mm-hmm. so we got together on our first date. And on the first date, he said, you know, you'd be a really good contestant on $20,000 Pyramid. And because I was good with words. He said, why don't we do this? I'll train you. We'll play the game together. And if you win, I'll get 25% of what you win. And if I win when I'm on, you'll get 25% of what I win. And so it was okay. So as our relationship developed, we were training each other well i was i was training for the audition because you had you had to play the game to an audition and i passed the audition and from the minute i walked in i knew that i was going to win i yeah. just knew that i was going to win i looked i can remember being the first one that got there sitting in a metal chair looking at the school clock on the wall and saying I can do this. Yeah. I can do this. And I did. Um, I was on the show for, for five days. Um, and my show aired on Christmas Day, which is when I won. Wow. Um, it, it, it taped before Thanksgiving, but, um, it was, it was very exciting. And he got the money, but when he was on, I got a Mr. Coffee machine that eventually set my office on fire. <laughs> so, he didn't pay, did he win? He didn't win. He got a coffee he, machine. He, um, he choked. But he had won money on, on another game show. And he was, he was really into game shows. And I had been into game shows as a kid. My mother would take me to, to see live game shows. Because uh, television was yeah. was live and coming from New York at the time, that was the beginning of our relationship. What I didn't know about, other than the fact that he was a compulsive gambler who stopped gambling after we were together for two years, I had in my mind sort of said, "Okay, I'm giving this three years. If if things don't change, I never asked him to stop gambling, but I figured." If he was in a relationship that he thought was worthwhile and he was with somebody who respected him enough, mm-hmm. he was a brilliant guy that he would stop. And he did. We were together for, let's see, I didn't know he was a hypochondriac either. <laughs> and that in and of itself turns you into a caregiver. Because sure. you're constantly telling somebody, no, you're not dying. You're going to be all right. He was, he was what they call the worried well. He was always going to doctors. At least he took care of himself. <laughs> Put it that well, way. But the gambling, let me go back to the gambling. Yeah. Um, did he spend enough money on gambling that he was in financial need? 
I, he probably made a lot of money, but it, he had nothing to show for no, it. No, he had nothing. He didn't make a lot of money. Okay. Uh, he took the five thousand dollars that he got from me from my winnings, and was yeah. gambling with that. He wanted to parlay that into a hundred thousand dollars so he could find a doctor that was going to make him better. <laughs> this and he is, lost. He lost it all, of course. We, right? we went from the television studio when I won to a travel agency to book tickets to go to Las Vegas. That's where his head was at. And then Atlantic Atlantic City became something. And we moved. This is heavy duty. Listen, uh, let's take another break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Reclaim your caregiver sanity with Dave Nassani's book, It's My Life Too. Caring for someone with an illness or condition who is expected to live for a relatively long period of time is a specific and unique challenge. This book pinpoints the needs and strategies a caregiver must do for themselves in order to survive, thrive, and make caregiving a rewarding, gratifying experience. So get your copy of It's My Life Too today or buy one for your special caregiver. It's My Life Too is available at Amazon.com and Caregiver Dave. Discover the world's largest anti-aging organization, Life Extension. For the best information, vitamins, and supplements, you just can't beat Life Extension. To start extending your life, go to the HealthyLife.net advertiser page and click on the Life Extension banner. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words by Dave Nassani is the book that helps you overcome and perhaps even prevent the hardships associated with strokes. Dave takes you on his journey and experience with his own wife, Charlene, a stroke survivor. This book tells you everything about strokes to help you and your loved ones survive without making costly mistakes that may save a life or a brain from irreparable damage. One arm, one leg, 100 words. The book is available on Amazon.com or order it from fine bookstores everywhere. If you want USA and worldwide car rentals, choose rentacar.com. Free cancellations on most bookings, no hidden charges. They are trusted by over 4 million customers. Visit our advertiser page and click on the Rent-A-Car banner. Guilt, fear, loneliness, burnout. These are just some of the things caregivers feel. But now there's hope. Caregiverdave.com is a membership website with an understanding community designed around supporting you. With a little perspective, planning, and practical help, you can become a thriving caregiver. Start by visiting caregiverdave.com. Get weekly calls, practical solutions, and free resources. Plus, when you sign up, you'll get a 30-minute coaching call free. Don't wait. Go to caregiverdave.com and join now. Remember, get positive emotions at www.healthylife.net. We're back on the Caregiver Dave show, interviewing the amazing life of Adrian Newberg. <laughs> so on this last segment, let's talk about how uh, eventually the hypochondriac did get sick. Uh, sometimes well, you can wish something was, on you, can't you? He had cluster migraines. Once he stopped smoking, they stopped. Oh. But the cluster migraines were real and they were awful. And yes, I was his caregiver through all of that, 
he also had a motorcycle accident. Uh, <laughs> he was basically standing still in a car, knocked the motorcycle over on him, and it tore his heel off. Oh, my God. And that, that is really, I mean, I, I was really a caregiver then. I had to come back from work every single day. Uh, back to the apartment to change the dressing on his wounds. I had to change his, his bandages three times a day. And um, then, then there were episodes of diverticulosis and diverticulitis. And I, I mean, I, I had my share of caregiving. How many years would you say you were a caregiver to him in some form or another? 32. Oh my. <laughs> In some form or other. Any any regrets marrying him? None. <laughs> None. You take the good with the bad. You the take good, the, the bad, good with the bad, the ugly. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we didn't have kids, but on purpose. In, in two thousand five, he had uh, a a gastro problem mm. that he started to self medicate for. Because he'd had the problem before, and he thought he knew what it was. He ended up with peritonitis, went to the hospital, the emergency room. He's, he, of course, swore up and down he didn't want to. And I called the doctor, and we were on the phone all day. And he said, just get him to the emergency room. Originally, they thought that it was appendicitis. My doctor came in and said, you need a surgeon. I'll get you a surgeon. He got us a really good surgeon mm -hmm. who, who finally got so fed up with what was going on in the hospital, in the emergency room. He took the gurney for Steve to get a CAT scan so he would know where to operate and what to operate on. In the scan, they found out he had cancer. Wow. They aimed a little too high, so they caught the lung, the lung cancer as well. He was in an induced coma for six days after he had the surgery for the peritonitis. When he was told he had the cancer, we had to see research online, and this is in 2005 when the Internet was not what the Internet is now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was able to do the research on surgeons and where to go, and we interviewed tons and tons of people. In the course of treatment, he ended up with a colostomy bag temporarily, Mm. So I had, I went through that for about four months. We were told after the, he has the colostomy bag off, we'll be able to do surgery on the first lung. You know, the first surgery that he was going to need. Then he was going to need a second surgery, but it was stage 1A lung cancer. Mm. I mean, Steve basically went into denial. It wasn't that he didn't admit he had cancer. He was just going to live his life. Yeah. And, of course, as soon as I heard it and they said, after the surgery, you'll, you'll get better, but eventually it will kill you. Over my head, it's, okay, what's the next 
what what's going to happen after? Mm. Yeah, you know, we were not married at that point. Really? Uh, we'd been together twenty six years. <laughs> when he came out from under the induced coma, he saw that I was still there. Wow. <laughs> he said, "I think we should get married." <laughs> I said. I think you better ask me in another three days after the drugs have worn off. We got married that summer. After his first surgery, we went on our honeymoon. And then for the next six years, it was surgeries and treatment and this, that, and the other thing. And every time I was in a waiting room, I would see caregivers with their significant others or their, their patients if they were professionals. And I would think, I got to do something for these people. Uh, I called Gilda's Club. Gene Wilder set it up after Gilda Radner died of ovarian cancer. And they needed a commitment from me that I would be able to be there for at least three months, three hours a week in one of their groups. And I said, I can't guarantee that. I'm going to be able to be here, you know, and I felt that I should be able to make a commitment to a group or I didn't have any right to be there. This is a support group? This is a support group. And that's what Gilda's Club was set up for. It's a wonderful organization. They sent me to the American Cancer Society who sent me to the Cancer Survivor Network who had online communities, I was involved in a, in a chat mm-hmm. uh, every week. It was, it was sacred. Oh, the one thing that I didn't mention yet is that after Steve was diagnosed, a year later, his mother was diagnosed with lymphoma at 89 years of age, and she came to move in with us. So I was taking care of two cancer patients at the same time. And you were married at this point? At that point, we were married, yeah. Wow. Listen, uh, let's take another break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Guilt, fear, loneliness, burnout. These are just some of the things caregivers feel. But now there's hope. CaregiverDave.com is a membership website with an understanding community designed around supporting you. With a little perspective, planning, and practical help, you can become a thriving caregiver. Start by visiting CaregiverDave.com. Get weekly calls, practical solutions, and free resources. Plus, when you sign up, you'll get a 30-minute coaching call free. Don't wait. Go to CaregiverDave.com and join now. Constant Contact and your small business make a perfect fit for marketing. They give you what you need to succeed. Fast and easy email marketing at your fingertips. Visit the HealthyLife.net advertiser page and click on Constant Contact to start your marketing. Reclaim your caregiver sanity with Dave Nassani's book, It's My Life Too. Caring for someone with an illness or condition who is expected to live for a relatively long period of time is a specific and unique challenge. This book pinpoints the needs and strategies a caregiver must do for themselves in order to survive, thrive, and make caregiving a rewarding, gratifying experience. So get your copy of It's My Life Too today or buy one for your special caregiver. It's My Life Too is available at Amazon.com and CaregiverDave.com. 
Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. One arm, one leg. 100 Words by Dave Nassani is the book that helps you overcome and perhaps even prevent the hardships associated with strokes. Dave takes you on his journey and experience with his own wife, Charlene, a stroke survivor. This book tells you everything about strokes to help you and your loved ones survive without making costly mistakes that may save a life or a brain from irreparable damage. One arm, one leg, 100 words. The book is available on Amazon.com or order it from fine bookstores everywhere. When you need a positive point of view, turn to HealthyLife.net, your 24-7 radio network for a better future. back on the caregiver dave show um you're a saint adrian <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not <laughs> um so it doesn't sound like the way you're describing steve that he was financially uh, independent uh you know uh, so, but, but yet you're very comfortable where did all this money come from uh did he have a big insurance policy or did he finally hit the jackpot at the end of his life what happened no Steve worked for Al Goldstein at Midnight Blue, which was the first adult okay. cable program and probably sold more cable boxes in New York City than anything else. I mean, basically, people were buying cable boxes. It was very lucrative. It was not lucrative. It was a vanity project. But it made money. No. <laughs> Steve was hired. By the one of the, by the co-creator of the show and the producer and director of the show, because Steve said, "You're not selling any ads. I can I can sell ads for you." Uh, what so, kind of ads? What kind of advertisers do they have? <laughs> sports services. <laughs> uh, okay. The erotic bakery. Um, What's an erotic bakery, by the way? An erotic bakery is was a bakery that that did suggestive cakes. Suggestive cakes, like the writing uh, of? No, the shape of them. Oh, the shape of them. Yes, oh, they were artists. <laughs> they were artists. <laughs> Instead so, of a real woman popping out of a cake, they would just make. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you never would have guessed. Where Steve ended up hitting the jackpot was once telephone lines for sex talk became popular, he advertised for them on his own. He had more half hours on cable TV than anyone else, and he had 27 minutes of advertising and two minutes of programming because that was what you had to have according to the New York City Charter. Wait a minute. 27 minutes of advertising, just one ad after the other. And two two minutes of programming. Oh, my God. And the programming started out being videos of Pong. (laughs) 
I said, well, look, it's programming, you know, it's something. So he would put 20 seconds of Pong on the screen. So he would make his money from advertising dollars. He made his money from cable advertising dollars. So what was the average length of an advertiser's ad? He had ads that were anywhere from 15 seconds to a minute. And what would someone pay for a 15-second or a minute ad? I really don't know. What I do know is you bought a package. I see. Because... That's smart. There were so many shows. You had to buy a certain number of ads on each show, and you were placed in terms of how much you paid, you know, where yeah. you'd be in the show and how many times you would have an ad on the show. And, um, I mean, this was a very lucrative business for yeah. the people that advertised because men in New York – in hotel rooms, salesmen yeah. would go back to now, their... Now, was this, was this his baby or he was working for somebody? This was his baby. He oh, went, he, to so he went into business for himself. He went to Al Goldstein and said, <laughs> do you want to do it? And Goldstein said no. And then Steve really? went to the other person at, at Midnight Blue and Screw and said, Al said, no, but I'm going to ask you, do you want to get involved in this? And he said, no. Steve said, well, I'll tell you, I'm going to do it. And the one promise that I'll make is that if they advertise with me, they've got to advertise on Midnight Blue. Hmm. That was okay with them. Eventually, Steve left Midnight Blue. and He was doing two at the time. Yeah, but I mean, he continued to do his own show, which was it, which was advertising free. Right. This show was a call-in show where he would he was just funny and would take calls from people. All right, so we've run out of time, and so let's find an appropriate way to end the show with your caregiving story. How do you want to end your story? Well, there's life after caregiving. Um, I have the caregiver space. I'm doing work that benefits a lot of people, and that is very satisfying. You certainly are giving back. Um, yes, I'm, I'm giving you. back. You're using yeah. your resources to, to change the world, which is well, anybody's dream. I'm doing what I can. You spend a lot of money on the caregiver space. I, I know what you spend on that, and that's... Very, 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 very generous. <laughs> you know. Um, and three and a half years after Steve died, I knew that it was it was time for me to get another person in my life. I'm Look- hearing a baby screaming outside. Uh, I I babysit on. You're a babysitter. Yes, I'm yes. a babysitter. Okay. So, how can people get a hold of you or find out more about the caregiver space? It's Adrian at the Caregiver Space. Don't forget the Z. It's the Caregiver Space dot org. Okay. And there's a website, the Caregiver Space on Facebook has, I would say, at least ten different groups now. All right. Uh, that are breakout chats. Everything is confidential, completely private. Things are really. Well written and very informative. The people online are very supportive and you get great advice. If you ask for advice, 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and for telling your story. And for everyone listening, please click the like button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on. It helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. And please don't forget my new book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times. And uh, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to give 50 five zero free ebooks to the first 50 people who email me because I know this is going out to a lot of places. And if you want your free ebook of Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, email Dave at caregiverdave.com and I will send them to you. Guilt, fear, loneliness, burnout. These are just some of the things caregivers feel. But now there's hope. Caregiverdave.com is a membership website with an understanding community designed around supporting you. With a little perspective, planning, and practical help, you can become a thriving caregiver. Start by visiting caregiverdave.com. Get weekly calls, practical solutions, and free resources. Plus, when you sign up, you'll get a 30-minute coaching call free. Don't wait. Go to caregiverdave.com and join now. Constant Contact and your small business make a perfect fit for marketing. They give you what you need to succeed. Fast and easy email marketing at your fingertips. Visit the HealthyLife.net advertiser page and click on Constant Contact to start your marketing. Reclaim your caregiver sanity with Dave Nassani's book, It's My Life Too. Caring for someone with an illness or condition who is expected to live for a relatively long period of time is a specific and unique challenge. This book pinpoints the needs and strategies a caregiver must do for themselves in order to survive, thrive, and make caregiving a rewarding, gratifying experience. So get your copy of It's My Life Too today or buy one for your special caregiver. It's My Life Too is available at Amazon.com and CaregiverDave.com. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. One arm, one leg. 100 Words by Dave Nassani is the book that helps you overcome and perhaps even prevent the hardships associated with strokes. Dave takes you on his journey and experience with his own wife, Charlene, a stroke survivor. This book tells you everything about strokes to help you and your loved ones survive without making costly mistakes that may save a life or a brain from irreparable damage. One arm, one leg, 100 words. The book is available on Amazon.com or order it from fine bookstores everywhere. When you need a positive point of view, turn to HealthyLife.net, your 24-7 radio network for a better future. Like the birds will never sing again. 